You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, The Superhero's Journey, part two of this iteration. The iteration that involves Superman the movie, Superman 2, Batman 89, and Batman Returns. That is the iteration we are currently in, and we are discussing the second of those four films, thanks to you, the patrons who got us to hit our goal, so that we could do it. I'm Nathan, your host, your humble and obedient host. We've got the captain himself, Captain Sulzer, right there, Benjamin Sulzer. Our matey. And our greatest living theologian, Jake Menzel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what is this, a link in your conference, Nathan? They do. Did they do say? Did they say things like that, or did they say things about that? Yep. Uh, about R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul made everyone say "Ahoy, matey" when he gave them an order. <laughs> That's right. He was always making people swab the deck. <laughs> That's what we were referring to. R.C. Sproul, actually, of all the mid-century theological giants, he'd make the best pirate. You think so? Agree or disagree? Just in terms of a guy that could uh, no, I could say "R" that would strike fear into you. I mean, who else have we got? We got you. Got like Piper Keller. Like, if no respect, RIP Tim Keller, but if his pirate ship pulls up. Well, Doug it, Wilson was an actual sailor. Yeah, that's true. He's a Navy. That's true. RC Spill's a little more blunt, though, a little more rough edged. So I think he would have the edge. Yeah. Yeah, I Spurl's feel like. more rough edged than Wilson? Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't putting Wilson in my calculations. I, so. I, I kind of think of him as a decade or two removed from those guys. I don't know if that's fair or not. I mean, they did conferences and stuff together, but all the way back in the 90s. Yeah, I guess you're right. So, okay, sure. Yeah, if Doug Wilson is on the high seas, then I'm... Wilson was definitely doing, like, Ligonier conferences in, like, 92 or something like that. Was he really? I forgot Yeah, he was doing Ligonier conferences. Like, that's where the famous Mortier's brother stuff, like, happened. Like, he was a part of that whole circuit, and then... I sorry. And then they kicked him out for having too much edge. And then he wrote a serrated edge to oh. defend him having more edge than all those guys. Gotcha. That was all in the 90s. Yeah, so, I guess that's true. I, I mean, he was too intense for Sproul and Piper, at least at that point. Yeah, in a sense. There's a different kind of intensity, though, to be uh, satirical like he is than to be like blunt like R.C. Sproul is. Yeah, if, if there's Sproul's opinion. more direct in that's his right. uh, edge. And I think the direct... I but, mean, may, may, but maybe uh, less direct about... Or less direct about... or. Direct yeah. about fewer things, but that's right. More direct, more direct about them, about the things he is direct about. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe Wilson would make a better pirate. I mean, I, I don't know. Are the pirates like you know? The I jo- think Wilson are they like are they, a, are they the uh, joking types who slit your throat? You know, like, pi- ah, that was Wilson definitely wants you to you. think he's a pirate, right? He's going to do his pirate flag, no quarter, November. Yeah, that's true. He's very I hardy. forgot about that. Uh, yeah, that's I think be all Wilson pirate-themed. Wilson might okay. want you to like, light a couch on fire, and that's going to be really intense. Yeah, <laughs> it was lit. <laughs> it was yeah, well, literally lit early. Oh, Nathan, you are a card. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> you say that with such enthusiasm. <laughs> Very enthusiastic this morning because we're talking about Superman two, my L- friend. Listen, folks, we will get there, but we need to finish this discussion about who, what great theologian <laughs> of the twentieth century. Discuss Superman two in the last five minutes of our Superman one discussion and been done with it. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. it's called content, Jake. <laughs> We're getting some. <laughs> well, I think that when it comes to Batman, we should do the two together. 
That those movies are so. But different. they are so different. It would be a different. It, it, it could actually I have, have to. Say, two I, good I think we have two discussions there because I'm actually looking forward to the Batman Returns discussion more than I am the. Well, I don't know. They're both interesting in different ways, but they are both weird. I think those are two separate episodes. But you're right about this Superman too. There's there may not be quite as much to discuss. The only thing to discuss in these movies is Christopher Reeve. Actually, that's yeah. what I think. Christopher Reeve sets a template. I mean. Donner tried, okay, you can talk about the the grounding of 1970s. Yeah. And then you can talk about trying to take all of modern technology to that point and bring it to bear on a superhero film and do the best work yet of giving a sense that a man could fly. Um, and then you can talk about the only thing that makes anything about these movies work, which is Christopher Reeve. Yeah. And that's it. There's nothing else to discuss. Well, it sounds like we're already getting to our point of view. You're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. New fantastic point of view. Good is a point of view, anyway. <laughs> Hello, folks. We're here in the segment where we give our personal point of view on the film. We got there quick. Now, now just to close the old tab. Do we all agree that R.C. Sproul would make the best <laughs> high seas pirate? I think Not the best, just the scariest. I think Doug Wilson, like, he invites you into his cabin. He wants you to eat. Maybe he slits your throat later. But he's, like, the jolly joking, mm-hmm. semi-scary pirate. But I feel like Tim Keller probably works for the Navy, honestly. He's like that guy. No, Tim Keller is the scariest pirate to me. Is he? He's just the yeah, psychotic, quiet. Like, you have no <laughs> idea what he really thinks and what he really believes. <laughs> You have no idea what he's really going to do. He is not the straight arrow that he wants you to think he is. That's a fair point. Are <laughs> you talking funny. about subterfuge and any number of things really going on beneath the surface and any number of backroom conversations and potential betrayals happening? Keller is the scary one. Yep, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. And he probably he may indeed rule the high seas. So Sproul's the one that you want playing Russell Crowe master and commander yeah like, well he's going to be a scary captain but he's going to be the one that you're like you always know where you stand with this guy well as i've said before on probably this podcast certainly other podcasts rc sproll the one dude that my wife has ever turned to me and said he's kind of hot she's <laughs> looking at a like a 1970s or 80s one of those old ones where sprolls in front of a whiteboard like sproll in his prime like, and my, my wife never does that. She's not like, oh, if I met Brad Pitt, you know, like it's like a standard marriage trope among the pagans, at least. But we don't yeah. have those conversations usually. But once or twice, I've probably said, wow, Catherine Zeta-Jones, she was uh, objectively beautiful. And uh-huh. my wife has said, R.C. Sproul, a good looking go. guy. Now, R.C. Sproul also in his prime has certain similarities to my wife's husband. So maybe I it probably explains maybe, maybe that has something to do with it kind of a slightly passive aggressive guy with unkempt hair and mm-hmm. you know piece of chalk in his hand piece and of ch- some edge yeah <laughs> about him just like me a piece of chalk in my head <laughs> and some edge some chalk and some edge my autobiography okay i think we were talking about our point of ben you agree on the point of ben the uh, pirates yeah are there any great mid-century theologians we haven't named i guess C.S. Lewis doesn't seem like a very scary pirate. No, I don't. Whoa, whoa, we're mid-century now? 
Well, we, I don't we know. Were, yeah. I said mid-century early on, but I guess I meant 70s. <laughs> okay, you didn't 70s mean, you to didn't 90s. Really mean mid-century. Yeah, mid-century would be. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you because if you go back a generation before Spill, you get Gerstner, mm-hmm. who'd be a great pirate. Obviously, all John listeners. Gerstner, <laughs> BJ. <laughs> right. Well, okay. <laughs> BJ would be an awesome pirate. As far as guys, you could see the 80s. R.C. Sproul, Tim Keller. Is there anybody we forgot to mention? Doug Wilson. I'm sure there's other I, big I'm, ones. I mean, there's John MacArthur. We haven't talked about him. He'd be, he could be a scary pirate. I don't know what kind of pirate John MacArthur would be. That's interesting. We haven't really decided. John, do we all agree John Piper, not a very threatening pirate? Yeah, no, not a threatening pirate. <laughs> I feel like even in the piratical metaphor world, John Piper is still the preacher. He's like the guy that gets right. up and says, you're going to go hunt Moby Dick, boys. It's, and then he yeah, gives you a bunch the, of adverbs about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And people feel very motivated and excited. And then he stands on the shore and waves him goodbye. Right. Going out on the high seas. I don't do a Piper, but I imagine someone could do a very humorous John Piper impression where they incorporated high seas related things. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. No. All right. I think we are now officially ready to talk about our point of view on this film. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. New fantastic point of view. Good as a point of view, anyway. You guys know how we have audio drops in this podcast right. that indicate yeah. different segments. Yeah, we've right. done that from the very <laughs> beginning yeah. of the show. <laughs> from yeah. the very beginning of the show. We've always had segments <laughs> mm-hmm. and audio drops to indicate them. Right, with different quotes from movies. Yeah. Uh, no, folks, this is something new we're debuting. Mr. Solzer pieced, <laughs> pieced together a number of them for us. Disney bookended by Star Wars. is Yeah, really Disney bookended <laughs> by Disney, if you think about it. Yeah. Okay, so we're already getting to, I thought, I thought this would take a little longer, but we're already getting to our point of view. And Jake's basically saying there's nothing to say about this movie besides Christopher Reeve. It's terrible, and Christopher Reeve is awesome. Yeah, that's pretty much my point of view on it. Now, Jake yep. and I watched Donner. Uh, no, no, we watched Lester. I watched Lester, yeah. yeah. I watched Donner. I said the same thing. Yeah, you didn't think it was a major improvement or anything like that? Well, no. I remember Lester as a 10-year-old boy, and so that's... I know, sorry, jumping to baggage here, but I don't know how to... Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Oh, 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 uh, sorry. Let's see here. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. All right, we're in our baggage <laughs> so section. We just have the Lion King and Incredibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about the past. I say we're going to build these audio drops out over time. I'm just going to trust that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> there is it. Don't trust that at all. <laughs> so, yeah, I loved watching Superman 2. The Lester Cut, of course, was the only thing around, and I think we had a copy recorded from the TV. It was great. I watched it all the time, along with The Terminator. Don't really recommend this, parents, but it was a great movie for a ten-year-old boy because you have a big superhero battle. There was nothing like that at the time. When was this? This was like early, early nineties. There was nothing else around, so it was awesome. And in my memory, that film is not very good anymore, but it's still better than the movie I just watched. Well, I will say I don't know if that's true though because I, I haven't gone back and watched it. I have not watched the Donner Cut ever in my life. Jake has watched the Donner Cut. So, so I watched Lester growing up. And I had an idea of how bad it was. Mm-hmm. And when I watched the Donner Cut a couple, so a couple years back, I think I talked about this, this is a little bit, I don't know, this would have been somewhere be- between seven and 10 years ago. A friend who has a beautiful 
home theater that he's built out had us over to watch Superman the movie. It was the first time I'd seen it in a really long time. And man, in that context, with all my kids showing it to them for the first time, it was a lot of fun and it really popped. And I had a lot of fun with it then. A lot more fun than I had with it this go around. I think that movie is a movie to see in theaters. Then we went home and I watched the Donner Cut with the kids, Superman 2, and thought, this isn't as bad as I was afraid it would be or as I remembered. And I left feeling pretty good about it. Maybe I was in the glow of nostalgia from that theatrical experience of the first one or whatever, but that's how I felt about it. And so this go, the Lester cuts what's on HBO Max, and I still had a little bit of time left on my HBO Max subscription from the last time I re-upped it. I basically re-up it for a month and then cancel immediately and then... Next time you need something. Next time I need something, I re-up it. And so I still had time on my HBO Max and I didn't want to pay any more money than I already had. So I just watched the Lester cut and man, (laughs) I would have rather couched my eyes out with spoons. It was so boring. Well, it is boring. I would say, so I have watched most of the scenes from the Donner cut. There's one that goes around on the internet all the time, which is that the scene of her shooting him with a blank. mm Yeah. And Reeves does his patented turn from super Clark into Superman. Yeah. And it's a great little scene, even though it's, it doesn't, it's obviously a test scene that they incorporated into the movie. It's not, it wasn't actually shot for any film. So it's a little awkward in that sense. But then, then uh, the Jor-El stuff, I would say the Jor-El stuff does beat the Laura stuff. That's an obvious mm-hmm. thing that works better. So the whole Superman gives up his specialness and then gets it back. It does work better. I assume in the Donner cut, just having seen the Brando stuff, the Brando stuff stronger and it makes more sense than what they eventually did with which Laura. Which makes no sense. Which, which makes no sense. It's a waste of time in life. But that being said, the things that everyone kind of hates on the Lester cut aren't really the problems that I had with the Lester cut. Like everybody's like, oh, it's so funny and it treats. It's like, yeah, okay, there's some lame jokes, but there's lame jokes in the first Donner Superman movie too with yeah. Hackman. Like these movies are just pretty Campy. corny. And They got some camp. And I didn't find that the Lester stuff was that much more egregious. In a little bit of camp, especially when... What's your real live action reference point? Batman, the, the, the animated, s- the 60s Batman show? Yeah, and the 1950s George Reeves Superman, which is super corny. It's like, yeah, so if you've got to bridge from that and people's expectations being that to something that you're trying to make feel grounded, throwing a little bit of camp in there for people is, yeah, exactly. Is, probably necessary i mean it's lame that we had to put up with bumpkin sheriff dude and there's some yeah. stuff that's just a waste of time but it's not so campy that you're just like "Ooh, lester hates superman and it's all kind of in the background mostly it's like a guy's toupee will get blown off or something right. but it's not like they're putting in slide whistle sound effects or anything it's not it basically does work as a superman movie just a boring not very good Mm-hmm. Superman movie with a nonsensical plot involving his powers and there's things I prefer about the Lester cut I like that I like the Eiffel Tower thing which my understanding is not in Donner not. yeah I didn't I actually didn't remember the whole Eiffel Tower thing of it all yeah because if you saw Donner and your last Donner was the last go around and I was just like whoa this whole Eiffel Tower terrorist plot thing is just not in my memory yeah so it's not a good, yeah, Lester's not a good movie. Donner's not a good movie. Christopher Reeve is great. Is it? Well, we can't get out of here without, well, no, you got more point of view? Well, 
I do think I don't my sort of internal feeling is that the final battle plays better in Donner than it does in Lester, but maybe it's the same or maybe it's not that different. Hmm. But I do think that there are things about that final battle just as a foray into a big fight scene with lots of practical effects and things like that that are just important one way or another to push the ball down the field. Yeah. And it as dumb and cheesy as parts of it may look, it deserves a lot of credit for Yeah, it's still a cool scene. I still liked it. It's it doesn't exactly it, it, hold up, but it definitely gave us the scene that we see in every Spider-Man movie or whatever of oh no, our hero's down and out. Well, we're New Yorkers. Yeah. And so you knocked out Superman, you got to deal with us. <laughs> Did you have that scene in your version, Ben? Yeah. 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 Which I think is always a sweet little sentiment if you can pull it off. Yeah, I like you that. You know, like that little, well, I may get crushed here, but I, the one thing I can't take, like I'm happy to be protected by Superman or by Spider-Man, but if he goes down and you take out that dude, then all right, I guess I'm going to die fighting you. Like, I love that. Yeah, if you're in a Spider-Man movie, a Superman movie, or a Meg Ryan 90s movie, then New York is, there's no better place in the world to, <laughs> to live. All, they may be uh, nasty, vile, you know. Vulgar. Yeah. A haven of scum and villainy, but, you know, uh-huh. with a heart of gold. Right. Deep yep. down. Right, the chips right. are on the table. New York is going to gonna rally uh-huh. together, and everybody's going to grab their baseball bats and their, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. whatever and band together to go after the villains whether they can do anything or not if the avengers had been down and out with their backs against the wall the new yorkers would have come out with baseball bats to beat up the chitari warriors it's too bad we didn't get that scene that but joss whedon scene. didn't have the sense to give us that no he, no, he didn't idiot yeah <laughs> i like that i like the i actually like the i the the stuff that sticks out like a sore thumb, the product placement, the Coca-Cola, <laughs> yeah. the, the Marlboro truck, which is hilarious because Marlboro has never put their logo. No cigarette company puts their logo on a truck because that truck will get robbed, especially in New York. <laughs> you do not. If you're a cigarette company, you're probably not even allowed, but you wouldn't want to anyway put your logo on a truck. It's something that they don't do. The only reason they do it is because Marlboro paid this movie a lot of money, which is why Lois Lane, who is not traditionally a character who smokes cigarettes, chain smokes <laughs> through the whole darn movie, which they managed to make a joke out of in Superman 1 when he checks her for cancer or something like lungs. that. Yeah. yeah. Although I can't imagine being checked by Superman's x-ray vision probably does anything for your chances of getting cancer oh it's fine it's fine it's harmless okay. yeah it's harmless it's harmless uh, yeah you have some good visual moments like zod getting thrown through a coca-cola sign things that feel really satisfying like yeah ah, got him things that remind you of later marvel you know the villain we're gonna throw him through the wall yes yeah I mean, we always I talk about how modern stuff. movies don't have setups and payoffs i will say it's interesting to go back to a movie where it's like Set up, set up, set up. We're setting it up. Pay off. <laughs> you really appreciate. Oh, Steven Spielberg in Raiders and things like people operating on that level figured out how to streamline this process a little bit. And it's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. We don't want Christopher Nolan chopping our action scenes into mincemeat, but it is nice to. Uh, chop out some of the time between those setups and payoffs sometimes. Well, there's the, 
I, I appreciate even the, the filmmakers who maybe they've decoupled ritual from meaning, but they've pushed the boundary of film as a medium what actually can't, how far can I bend things without it breaking? Mm -hmm. You know, how many assumptions can I grant? How much credit can I give the audience? How many assumptions can I take for granted in order to just give what we want here? Yeah. And so there's, there's places where those lines are crossed and it is just nonsense or it's just, or feels lazy, but there's a, there's an avant-garde way that I think people have pushed those boundaries and there's pullbacks that have to happen too, but well, that's, that's always, I've, it's always the, my two examples in my mind, I've always felt like the big fight with the baddie in born part two, what's it called? Supremacy is supremacy. The second one yeah. that I've always felt like that fight's a little bit disappointed, disappointing because it relies so much on sound design and so little on visual coherence. But you compare that to the bathroom pipe fight in part three, where Bourne does the famous window mm-hmm. jump and they fight. Yeah. It's like oh, uh, yeah. Greengrass awesome. has figured out just how to be on the cutting edge of i'm going to give you just enough information so that you can keep your bearings but we're going to have this really exciting quick cut visual style the fight's amazing and then you have nolan and batman begins just i like to do this too (laughs) i like to do this too you guys and it's just nonsense and it ruins a potentially great ninja showdown and it's just the depth the oh man but yeah, I mean, I like people. I what did I just see? I saw a thing on Fury Road that was on Twitter about isn't Fury Road like ten years old now or something? Yeah, it dumb? is. It is. It's ridiculous. I just saw one of those things. Want to feel old? Uh, shut. I, I must have just seen it too. Then. Well, the one I saw, I see. Feel like I see one of those a day. But the one I saw was there was twenty seven years from Sean Connery playing Doctor No to playing Indiana Jones' dad. There was also 27 years from Tom Cruise doing Mission Impossible 1 to Mission Impossible Now, which was well, kind of interesting. That but, is interesting. <laughs> that is, uh, I usually hate those. Want to feel old? <laughs> oh, like, man, I can't wait to go see Dead Reckoning, the one movie I'm looking forward to right that now. That will have coherent action Yes, it will. and a plot I don't care about. But that's yeah, okay. that's right. And that's all I care about for the rest of the summer. <laughs> I just don't care about anything else. How the mighty have fallen. Or, I want to see the Flash. I maintain hope for the Flash. For some reason, the I internet's know. turned on the Flash. They've the, everybody's decided the Flash is crap. We're all piling on the Flash. Really? Yeah. It, there's a thing. There's a spoiler yep. thing that uh, people don't like. But there's also just like the fans. The fans are mm. the critics. Maybe are liking the Flash, but the fans are rebelling. That's what I've seen. Is that what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a, yeah, I think, I think that's probably a fair way to sum it up. I've, I've seen a lot of screen grabs of individual special effects shots that people are like, couldn't do another pass, ILM, or whoever did the special effects, which I just think is so lame. You can't take a random screen. Couldn't pay the sweatshop and, workers in, in Dubai? or Yes, they could pay the sweatshop workers in Dubai. So it's opposite. Critics' score is dropping, and the audience score... So far as high, but there are only 50 verified audience score ratings at this point. So we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. I think Flash is going to be just fine. Proper release date is June 16th, which means tomorrow. Right. So most of the main reviews and early things should be hitting now, but I bet Flash is going to be okay. I think Indiana Jones is going to be the big disappointment of the summer, but. Ezra Miller didn't help himself by how he showed up to the uh, carpet. He looked like a freak. They, I didn't like even see pronouns, please, Jake. He just showed up all flashy and beautiful and just sort of like with his 
freakishly big gay woman hair and pretty, very pretty and Ew. wearing white and just with his like smug. And so people are just looking at him and are like, yeah, this guy's pretty much just evil. And what are the things that we're supposed to forget he did again? Hmm. Because looking at him doesn't make me want to forget them. Well, it's always a bad fashion decision to dress like one of the extras from the Hunger Games, one of the bad guys that's watching the, you know, one of the hoi polloi. Uh, it's bad news. What are we in? Are we in baggage or point of view right now? I don't know anymore. I did. It is interesting to look at the reviews from the time this movie came out and realize it was fairly well liked and critically well-received. Siskel and Ebert said it was better than the main one. Yeah, he does look like an extra from that. Siskel said it was better than the original. Los Angeles Times says it was the most interesting Superman yet. Yeah, Ezra Miller's freak. People really liked this movie when it came out, and they didn't think it was like a sellout of the first one. They just mm-hmm. they just thought it was good. They bought the romance. They, I don't know. It made me think. It made me take half a second and think: Do we take this stuff too seriously now? Should it should it not bother me that the mythology is so? stupid in Superman 2 because it didn't bother Siskel or Ebert like they just they just went with it like sure he can kiss her and we're not worried about consent issues or you know him erasing her mind like, yeah Superman's always coming up with new powers in the comics it's just it's just a fun wind up toy and that's mm-hmm. all it's supposed to be I'm not actually making that argument but I don't know what to say here we are now we have a lot of history of comics the discussion the conversation has advanced and we like coherence in our mythologies. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We like good storytelling, and we like to apply that even to comic book movies, basically. I think that's all there is to it, right? We've just accepted that, well, this is why we're doing this particular show, because what we've seen is a transition from the Western as the place that embodies the American... Wait a second, Jake. Are you pulling back the curtain on the way that, like the movies are made and the messaging <laughs> and the images. And because I think I've got a, the sheeple aren't going anywhere. They like my world. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You don't really want to work it out. You want to be fooled. That's right, folks. We're taking you behind the curtain. So, so in terms of accepted American myth-making, American mythology, American mythologizing on the silver screen. It was always the Western. It was John Wayne. It was, and then transitioned during the time of Superman into, okay, it's like, are we going to go the route of Clint Eastwood? We see this bifurcation happening Mm -hmm. of Clint Eastwood's going to go dark and then Superman's going to show up and just be the all American good boy, everybody's friend. And it's sort of like that, the meme, which way Western man Yep. Which direction are we going to go here in terms of our heroes? Which is why this little series is what we're doing. We're calling it the superhero's journey, but it's really about the journey of how we have come to view our heroes and the way the silver screen has shaped what we look at, what we expect, and what we see in our heroes. And so at this point, you've got sort of like this evolution happening where it's, okay, you're going to go Clint Eastwood from John Wayne, or are you going to go... Harrison Ford from John Wayne, or are you going to go Superman? Yep. And so people are like, you've hit a crossroad in in the 70s, and you basically have three, I think, three ways forward. Are we going to 
take this American Cowboy Dark? Are we going to evolve the American Cowboy into Indiana Jones and stick with that route? And Rocky's sort of like somewhere in between Indiana Jones and Superman's The Straight Arrow answer that is thrown on the table. And with them come these sort of worldviews. Well, everything sucks, but can we have a good guy? Or can we have a good guy who has a heart of gold? Or do we just need a bad guy who gets the job done for us? And so that's sort of like, here it is on the table. And some of it's going to, we're going to play with camp. We're going to play with really dark backdrops. We're going to play with dark heroes and dark characters. We're going to play with dark characters with a heart of gold and work our way forward. And this is the first foray into saying this whole comic book world may have some of the answers that we're looking for and may provide an outlet for real sort of American myth-making and mythologizing that gets us away from the cowboys and allows us to allegorize a lot of things and push us in a different direction and be more American in its inclusivity because the cowboy is an Anglo-white, you know. Shooting red guys. Sorry? Shooting red guys. Yeah. And mistreating black guys. It's racially complicated, and Ellis Island has happened, and as we discussed in the beginning with Superman, there's been a huge influx of Jewish immigration who have taken over various forms of our entertainment and myth-making and storytelling and are shaping it. And so can we go this more fantastical route? Is that something that's going to work? Do we need to stick with sort of the American mythos of the West and westward expansion? And can we, make, can we globalize that as America becomes a global empire and still make it feel rooted in the past and archaeological in an Indiana Jones sort of way? How's that all going to play out? And you're going to see a couple of things downstream of Indiana Jones that's going to taper out into Nick Cage being ridiculous. And you're going to see things downstream of Dirty Harry, which are never really going to go away because John Wick's still here. Mm-hmm. But then there's going to be this whole bigger, larger world that's going to kind of keep expanding, that people are going to keep exploring, and it's eventually going to take things over and win, which is the world not just of the hero or American hero, but of the superhero. Of the superhero and of fantasy worlds. And Well, the other thing I'm thinking as you're talking, I, I agree with all that, is... Star Wars is going to play a factor yeah. in that. Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson are going to play a, a role in all of that in these sort of different fantastical... Can we have space cowboys? Right. Can we have medieval cowboys in a more fantastical, legendary sort of world? Can we... How's it all? But I think this movie came out in 1980. So if you think about it, really, what I would say, one of the most important fantasy films to really tell people, point, say this... No, not that way. This way, Western man was going to come out next year, which is The Empire Strikes Back. Because I've seen George Lucas talk about this before. He's like, when we did Star Wars, everybody rushed their own space movie into production. And it had spaceships and light shows and laser swords and everything. And they all bombed. They all missed the point. The point was the mythology. And he says, if Fox had owned the rights and were doing the sequel, then they would have just given you more, more toys and more this and more that. But the choice that we made with Empire Strikes Back, and it's a choice that resonates down the decades, is no, we're actually going to take the time and the space to explore the mythology, to build out the world, to build out the sense of wonder, the sense of what the force is. Like We actually think we can slow down the movie, have extended sequences without action where a puppet is explaining the force 
to us. And George Lucas bet big on that. And he won. He won everything. He won artistic credibility for the whole movement. He won all the money. He won the affection, the hearts and minds of children everywhere. And Superman 2 does not have that. Superman 2 is like, all right, we're making another Superman movie. I guess we need some things and some stuff. And But they don't care about the lore. They don't care about the stuff that's actually undergirding this. And Donner cared a lot more about it, but he still didn't care as much about it as Lucas cares about mm-hmm. like 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 Lucas lives and breathes this stuff and he understands his world and he knows what the trade federation is up to or what galactic tariffs are like like he's he seeped it in a way that in a way that Tolkien fans understand cuz Tolkien got that there first in terms of just being a total dork who wrote all these languages and then was like oh I guess I need a story to go along with these languages I don't know why Tolkien's talking like Kermit the Frog. But yeah, I, I think Empire Strikes Back is so important to this. Tolkien discussion. was just a dork with a rich imagination and built his worlds for himself. Right. And then he had these stories that he was able to map on top of them in a really beautiful way. Like Lucas has his stories he wants to tell and he understands those things and he just creates enough space to build things out over time, I think. It's not quite the same, but man, he, he had such an intuitive knack. For mythologizing. And yeah. For, and it's just, that's what What's Ray, the cool. Ray trilogy doesn't have. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's what the Superman movie had. Like, the, fundamentally, Lester, whatever else he's doing, he doesn't really care how Superman loses his powers and gets his powers and what the mechanics of that and the space it, of it that. It really bothered the me wonder. that we didn't care how he got them back. I know. Yeah, it sucks. All we know is the green crystal was not in the thing when it exploded because Lois was holding it and set it down carelessly. And so we're just supposed to accept there was something about that green crystal that allowed him to get his powers back. It's so stupid. Well, in your cut, doesn't Brando's like, I, I thought of this. and I, Yeah, Brando's you know. like, I anticipated this. And <laughs> which is its own kind of stupid, it, but it, it is. But he's like basically, uh, I, I'm gonna lip service. I'm gonna give you your. I'm. It's like all the energy that sustains me and our connection and my existence in this form that I'm in will go into giving you your powers back. So this is goodbye. See, this, Donner, so this is what you've done. That's I mean, Donner and Mankiewicz understanding some some there. mythology needs that's to right. be built into this, and Lester just doesn't care and cuts it all out. Well, plus they couldn't pay Brando, but at least find some version you can do with Laura. Of that same dynamic. Right. If you're stuck not using Brando because of contract and money stuff, then you're stuck not using Brando. Nothing did, you can do did about that. Did the Donner version have just the stupid like assertion? Well, if you want to be with this woman, you must become a man. Yes. Period. Well, yes, because well, Brent, no, actually, it's a little bit better than that. Because that it, that really is all. I, I she just says yeah. he's like talking to her, and he's like, "I love her, mother." I want to be with her. And she's like, I was afraid this would happen. There's only one way. Go into the silly skull machine. And become a mortal. Well, the way that Brando puts it is, you are, this is the price of your trade because you're supposed to carry responsibility. And if you get entangled with one woman, you can't care for the race as a whole. So basically- The old Jedi conundrum. the, The only honest way to do this is to give up your powers. Now, it's still stupid because Superman is never like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's still dumb. But I mean, that's part of the stupidity of of the other one. Nathan, we're talking about the plot now, don't we? 
Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, we are. No, I don't push these what buttons. What in the world? And you're in on this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I made most of these. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, we, folks, we're talking about the plot. What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Well, guess what? Now this is happening. Will you allow me to explain? All right, folks, that obvious <laughs> and well done audio drop. <laughs> That's an audio drop that I don't get. It's uh, uh, clips from The Thing, Anchorman, <laughs> Ben's favorite movies here, and, uh, yeah. and Sherlock Holmes. Uh, so it's we're talking about the plot. That's right. Speaking of Sherlock Holmes, I've heard really great things about The Covenant. The Covenant, The Covenant, The Covenant. Guy Ritchie's Covenant. Oh, yeah, I have two. It's supposed to be good. I'm, I'm going wa- to watch it. I'm excited to see it. It's I'm already too? gone from theaters, which I'm, is really it's irritating. All, no, it's not. It's really great because it's already on streaming. All right. All right, fine. But I wanted to see I'm, it at the theater. Next Women's Night, like, I... Which is this Friday. Maybe not this Women's Night. <laughs> <laughs> on second thought, let's not watch The Covenant. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's jumped to the top of my list based on things I've seen about it. Oh cool. man, I wish I was one about one of those desert conflicts. I hate those things. I hate learning about them. I don't want to think about them. I just I no, no, but like special ops guys and people of that sort that love Wick are like, this is actually the coolest, closest, most grounded, close to reality thing I've ever seen. I've seen multiple people like that say that sort of thing about the movie, which to me is just like Yeah, that's fair. Which they say that sort of thing about Wick, even though like, yeah, it's fantastic and all this stuff, but it's also like, it's got some, the, the action is actually really grounded in a lot of places. I mean, my brother talked me through Wick one time. My brother was a Marine and a police officer and he's just like, obviously it's all silly, but just seeing the amount of practice that Keanu Reeves put into reloading a shotgun with one hand, it's like those kinds of details. Right, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. But the, so the Covenant is supposed to be like, or is it just Covenant? This no, the, it is the Covenant. The Covenant. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was, but then... Anyhow, it's supposed to be just like... It's Richie, and it's Richie and stylized and whatever, but super grounded in its action in a way that's like really compelling and cool. I'm just excited for it. Yeah. I wasn't because the trailer didn't look like it no, was a Richie like, film. It just looked like another boring desert well, movie. And maybe that's what these guys actually mean. I but, don't think so. Because but, well, I'm just Richie, now eager to find out. Richie yeah. is a neoclassicist, actually. If you want to, I mean, that's a dumb way to put it. But what I mean is he's just like a classical style filmmaker who's just going to do a solid job of telling a story. He'll dress it up flashy a lot of the time, or he'll mess with the chronology. But at the end of the day, he actually likes just putting shots together like Donner or someone. Mm-hmm. In my I mean, opinion. I mean, your three options right now for the action movies that may be cutting edge that you may not have seen yet, starting this Friday, are Wick 4, if you haven't seen it. Which is the, like three hours long and super violent. and just like, Extraction 2. Which is three hours long and super humorless and violent. Or Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. And so... That is an easy choice. It's an easy choice. You could have made it easier if he'd set it in Vietnam or some cool place, but... Ugh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> it's, an, it's such an easy choice for me. I've seen Wick movies, and I've, I saw the first Extraction movie, and I may eventually 
sorry if this scandalizes you, listener. I mean, I'm I'll, sure many I'll of our listeners watch Wick Four, but uh, it'll just be one night where I'm like, I just want to see something. I haven't seen 500 guys get shot in the head <laughs> recently. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wish the Covenant had Jason Statham and he was wearing a pork pie hat and he was... On some scheme to get diamonds out of... Yeah, like a pig carcass or something like that. But <laughs> that's that's Richie's anyway, previous movie, yes. actually. Back to the plot yes. of Superman. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Well, guess what? Now this is happening. Will you allow me to explain? See, it's things that are happening and we're explaining them. I think okay. I think we, I've found Bren's it, logic here. In the Lester you, cut. You found it. In the Lester cut, it's just like, I'm in love with this woman. What should I do, mom? And she's like, give up your powers for no explanation, no reason well, whatsoever. And he's just like, okay, I guess I'll do that it, because I really love her. And Lois, who is, and so you've got this tension of, wait a minute, he feels no tension about this? And then two, there's Lois, and Lois should be emotionally still reconciling the fact that she was in love with Superman and couldn't give Clark Kent the time of day. And now Superman is about to become Clark Kent. Right. Like, hey, I got rid of everything that you loved about me. Yeah. She should be asking the question, wait a minute, do I love this man or do I love his power? Just on an emotional level, like if you bring any kind of story sense or emotional logic to any thing that's happening in this movie it all falls to pieces so fast uh-huh. yeah it's just and impossible it's just to like, care about yeah, yeah and then you're just like what in the world the only thing on? to care about is the zod non nursa showdown and there's just that's just we're 40 50 years past it the prime of that being the cutting edge so uh-huh. there's just nothing to care about in this movie unfortunately nope yeah Agreed. Well, it, the the impression I got from watching it this time, honestly, the only way that plot makes sense is just if it's a sex thing, like if Krypton people can't do it that's, with Earth people. I, I had the same. I had the same thought. That's that's the, the way it plays, thought. whether intentional or not. Is like if you yeah. want to be with this woman, and then but you do have because that you have the scene where then scene, yeah. they wake up in bed together. But they do right? that. Bef- that's before. No, it's not. It is in the Donner. Okay, so in the Donner, it's explicitly not that Kryptons can't be with humans. it's not. So in the way that Lester arranges it, they don't wake up in bed together until after he gives up his powers, which is the narrative then that's told. I forgot that. And so... So it's like they really wanted to have sex, and the only way to do it is if he... (laughs) It just makes him into such a twerp. If he gave up his potence over here in order to gain it somewhere else. Oh, man. But that's all implicit... And it's just like, yeah, but it's so... And so then you could, if you wanted to spin it, it's like, okay, maybe they could have sex, but maybe they couldn't make a baby. But <sighs> in any case, yeah, he got her pregnant because we carried on this storyline. Well, it's just interesting that these days, the big d- drama around superhero movies is like, should Superman kill Zod and Man of Steel? And Miles Morales, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. Like, the we're still dealing with the stuff that this movie so perfunctorily just sort of brushes, like, lint off of its jacket. These are, like, the big questions we deal with now. Should superheroes kill? Was it good? You know, how dark do we want our superheroes? And what's personal responsibility versus should Captain America have gone back in time? Like all the discourse around all these modern movies 
This movie anticipated and then did the dumbest possible things in every case. It's just kind of funny. And the internet loves to point that out. Like, Superman murdered the crap out of Zod 30 (laughs) years ago. Come on, you guys. But only after torturing him by crushing his hand. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Making a big show. Yeah, and then kind of giving a little ironic wink to the camera before he throws him into a castle. (laughs) Which is always the best, one of the best scenes as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes, got him. And then Lois Lane with her. You know what? You're a real pain in the neck. neck. (laughs) Oh. I guess having her power depleted has taken away her ability to dodge a punch or like now yeah all of her actual warrior prowess is out the window i still kind of think maybe she could defeat lois lane no kidding (sighs) whatever well and i'm I'm sorry this is a cheap shot but non trying to cross the chasm and just falling in is so corny the way that they do it. It's pretty dumb. And plus, it's just an anti climax. You got this big city fight, which is pretty fun even now. And then it's like, let's all go away to have some more plot in a different location. And it's just a. But it was a payoff from what happened earlier where it was set up that you can take away their powers. Superman could not overpower the three of them together except by being smarter than and them. He very cleverly used Lex Luthor. Did you notice that, yes, Nathan? He do you know knew. he turned the tables? I do <laughs> like even smarter than Lex Luthor. So he's got like the genius of Luthor together with the power of the others. And so he is the true Superman. I do think one of my favorite Reeve moments across both movies is when Hackman's like, you reverse the butt up, butt up. And then Reeve does like a little. <laughs> he's like, tap, tap some, tap tap, his brain. Yeah. Like, yeah. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that is what you want from superman but yeah man reeve is good and kidder's good although man they don't do give her much to play in this movie besides no she was she had more much more to play in the first movie i thought and if you know the lester donner drama you can watch her wig change and watch reeve's level of fitness change and it's just i guess the other thing about watching going back to this movie as an adult and not a kid is i remembered General Zod being one, like one of the great villains of my childhood. And he's not bad. I mean, Terrence Stamp is fun, but there's really just not much to him. Like his only thing is that he's imperious. And gay. And gay. Yeah. And he has no, there's nothing he wants to do with the world. Well, it's so dumb. Like it's as, just... a, as a kid, that was part of what I thought was fun was he bullies his way into being and in, having absolute power. And then he's immediately bored. Now what? And just sitting around the White House with nothing to do. And I just always thought that that was a great lesson. Like, I thought that was a fun joke. They got what they wanted in their horrible way, and it sucked. (laughs) That's a good point. Sure. I do like going back in time to when the American president would be a heroic old white guy who's, I'll bow if it'll... Save lives. <laughs> That's how we write the president. Uh, now it'd be like Viola Davis or something like that. Which is fine. She'd make a wonderful president. Uh-huh. Well, Zod's first assumption is, well, yeah, you, you bowed way too easily for the leader of a people. Yeah, that scene is actually fun. One of the few fun scenes. Yeah, he's the real president here. Yeah. Other good scenes. I'd have remembered the little boy actually getting a slap, just like the little girl, but he doesn't actually. The woman, the his mom yeah. is just like, I'm going to deal with you or something. So 
Only one spanking across the superhero, the Superman. So the way that the Lois figures out, I think the way that Lois figures out the Clark stuff, does she still throw herself in the river in the Donner Cut? No, she does not. So it's just the bullet in the hotel. Just the bullet in the hotel. Which gives her some agency. It's actually, it's a nice change. It makes, it gives Lois, it makes Lois smarter. Like she's actually figured it out and she tricks Clark into revealing himself instead of the stupid flame thing and... Yeah, in the Donner, in the lesser so cut, he, if you don't she, remember, she, he actually holds his hand in the fire. Right. Yeah, she throws herself in the water. He finds a way to save her without revealing himself, but then he falls in the fire. It's just. Mm. Uh, I liked it when she threw herself out the window at the start of the movie. Did we have that in the Lester cut? Oh no, you didn't. That's right. I, see, it's just been too long. No, no. Yeah, the Donner cut at the start of the movie. They're in the whatever newspaper office, and she throws herself out. The window because she's like clark i know that you're superman superman won't let me die he's like no lois oh so she's falling so he zooms through the office so fast that no one can see him gets down to street level and creates an updraft with his breath <laughs> that slows her but she like hits one of those awnings and falls into a fruit cart and by that time he's back up in the office like looking down lois what have you done it's great so she's like, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's better than the, that's it was, awesome. It was actually really fun. Yeah, no wonder I so didn't that's a that. much that too is a much better sort of thing because the way that they play, it's really stupid. Lois Lane, this Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist can't tell that the guy she works closely with looks exactly like Superman, right? And then she just like has her like dumb little, wait a minute. No, in moment. this one. From the beginning, she's already figured it she's out. She's already got it. See, that's much better. That is much better. But then, because but, because but, what but, happens but is that Ni- at Niagara Falls, Clark goes off to get hot dogs or something like that, and a boy falls yep, that's in, right. and then Superman shows up, and she's like, "Wait a minute, why is Superman where I am, and where was Clark? Hmm." And we have this like cheesy dorky. Ah, uh. there's some version of that, but it's not. I think it's a little underplayed. It's just part of the trajectory of her. It's part of the trajectory, yeah. What's fun is that he does successfully juke her at the start. She's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) But then she's right back to it because it's so obvious. Yeah. So that's fun. And then she's got her trick with the bullets and the gun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it... With the blanks, rather. As much as people talk about as, as annoying as modern culture is with their, well, it's, he violated her consent to erasing her. It is actually a lame, unintentionally sad scene when he erases her memory. And it's, it's just like that left a sour taste in my mouth. I don't want Superman to take it on himself to just erase my memory. Like, it's not good logic. It doesn't work. Yeah. If I was to be Richard Donner, which I'm not, but if I had been editing that Donner cut, I would have just left out the time travel stuff and just let the movie end with them knowing you're never gonna have to make any sequels so Mm -hmm. just cut to superman planting that flag and saying i'll be around sir or whatever superman's secret identity sucks i hate secret identities the best thing about the mcu is that they got rid of secret identities i am iron man at the beginning of the first or at the end of the first iron man is a great moment in superhero storytelling like we're not in a total audible so the myth goes yes i think that's true i think that's actually i think it's true but this is also a great story. What a great, like, intuitive, audible. And it's saved ad-lib. us now 
over a decade of boring storytelling about should I tell my wife? Do I want her to? It's boring. Yeah, I actually do. I think the one superhero that should do it because it's so part of a myth is well, Spider Man and Superman. I think both actually. But I want Lois to know. Like I'm going to be bored if James Gunn makes us put through a lot of puts us through a lot of heartache about whether to tell Lois Uh or she almost figures it out. Like I just. There's some storytelling suspense that I don't like, and that's one of them. Like the will, it's, it's like the Raimi stuff. Is Gun going to give us an origin story, or is he going to give us something in media rest? Legacy is not an origin story. It may not be an origin story, but it's quote exploring the dichotomy between Superman as a son of Krypton and a son of Kansas. So what, whatever that uh, means, which well, sounds it's like a okay, retrospective but, kind of story. So the legacy arc is what. It just looks well. It manages to do sort of a deep dive into Superman's past with a story in the present about him getting ready to die. So it's like All Star Superman. It, it, I think so. Well, actually, I don't know that. I think I might have put that together mistakenly based on conversations we've had here okay. with, without the lines that weren't drawn for me that I drew. Okay. So I don't know. That's okay. what I was assuming, I think. All I know is that I saw a tweet where from James Gunn where he's like, I'm excited to explore the dichotomy between a son of Krypton and a son of Kansas. And I was okay, like, that's so the dumbest sounding pitch for a movie that I've been excited. So we just don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I, I don't know why I drew that. Connection. I think one way or another, we're casting young. We're going to get a younger Superman. It's not, it may not be oh, okay. an origin all story, right, right. but it's not going to be. Well, like then a, it's probably not all-star Superman then. That, yeah. That might be better. Whatever else it is, it's not going to be established. Clark, he's 39 years old. Okay, okay. That's my sense of it, at least. Okay, well, that's very different than what I had in my mind. Because if they were going to do that, they could just use Cavill and everybody would be happy. But they're not. They want a younger man. That's why they're recasting, Mm -hmm. Uh, among other reasons, I'm sure. But that's their stated reason is we need a young guy, just like the James Bond people are casting young. Everybody's got to be young. We're in for 10 years of, it's Ethan Hunt, but now he's played by a 20-year-old. That's like the next cycle. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen. No, Tom Cruise will keep doing it until he drops dead. But the, And that will be at the bottom of a plane that he's jumped out of, a parachute that's failed to open or something like that. But, oh, my goodness. What else is there to talk about? You guys have other thoughts about your point of view or no looking behind the curtain or no past baggage you brought to this movie. Nope. All right. Well, we've been going exactly opposite. So I think it's now time for a little context. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. You may think you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't. All right. So Richard Donner was fired. Richard Lester took over. Richard Lester is a great director. Are you guys aware of the fact that Richard Lester is awesome when he's not doing superhero No, movies? I'm not. Please enlighten me. I don't think I am either. He was a counterculture swinging 60s director who directed the Beatles' first movie, A Hard Day's Night, which is a absolute masterpiece and a hugely influential movie on everything to this day. He was a child prodigy who graduated with a degree in clinical psychology when he was, anyone want to guess? 15. 19. Hmm. Still, imagine graduating with a degree in clinical psychology when you were 19. That's the person I'd want to do my, That's pretty good. be my psychologist. 
he's actually an American dude, but he worked his way up in television in America and then Britain and then did some films with Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan, including the running and jumping and standing still film, which was kind of a out there 60s hippie kind of thing. And John Lennon liked it and hired Richard Lester to do A Hard Day's Night, which came out in 1964, just a few months after the Beatles hit on Ed Sullivan and all that stuff. Like when the Beatles were hitting big, they fortunately already had this movie in the can. And Richard Lester, late in life, people, a reporter said, you know, you're the father of the music video, right? And Lester said, well, I'd like to see a paternity test for that. But Lester is the father of the music video. Hard Day's Night is incredibly exciting and avant-garde in the way that it cuts on the beat of the music. And that's like the thing that it pioneered was we're just going to run and gun and use black and white film and handheld like a kind of French new wave aesthetic. And we are going to edit everything together extremely quickly and impressionistically. So your boy Richie, his early films, Mm -hmm. so totally downstream of Richard Lester. I mean, in many ways, he took the things from like Jean-Luc Godard and stuff like that and brought it into the American and British mainstream. And we should just do Hard Day's Night some someday it's it's a fun movie and a really interesting time capsule a really interesting look at the beatles and beatlemania and mm. the, the screaming passion of their idolatrous female fans it's amazing i mean it's a classic uh, it's it really captures energy and potency and the beatles it, it really is the best one of the best evocations of what was exciting about the beatles and the counterculture at that time so Richard Lester did that, and that's what he'll always be remembered for. And then he worked with the Salkinds, who we've talked about on the Three and Four Musketeers movies, which are also quite good. Very Lester slapsticky, but they're good versions of the Dumas uh, novel. And then when tensions hmm. boiled over and Donner was fired, Lester came back for Superman, or Lester took over for Superman too. He was already friendly with the Salkinds. And I think he was also friendly with Donner. So he's actually helping arbitrate with Donner when they were still working with Donner. But then he stabbed Donner in the back and just took over. Unfortunately, they didn't have the actors locked down and a lot of them refused to come back, including Gene Hackman, which is why this move, the Lester cut at least has these hilarious, I don't know if your cut had this, like where there's this guy that is obviously not Gene Hackman doing a voiceover for Gene Hackman. I didn't hear any of it. I may have missed it, but I just didn't hear anything. It's really funny. It's really bad. Huh. Like you see, he's like, come on, Miss Teschmacher, let's go to Antarctica. And it just, it does not sound like Gene Hackman. North. North. Yeah. North. Yeah. No. It's, it's like, I it's, think I just assumed that was Gene Hackman. No, it's uh, Gene Hackman out of loyalty to Donner refused to come back. Although he wasn't loyal enough to not do parts two, three, three, <laughs> three and four. Yeah. Mankiewicz who wrote the script and really pioneered all the mythology and stuff, didn't want to come back out of loyalty to Donner. And Lester was an idiot who didn't understand the myth-making of Superman. Here's a quote. Donner was emphasizing a kind of grandiose myth. There was a kind of David Leanish attempt in several sequences and enormous scale. There was a type of epic quality, which isn't in my nature. So my work really didn't embrace that. That's not me. That's his version of it. I'm more quirky, and I play around and have slightly more unexpected silliness. So that pretty much sums up the things that people have hated Richard (laughs) Lester for ever since. 
Brando sued for 11% of the gross and they were like, nope. So they just brought in Susanna York, who was not in in a position to sue for 11% of the gross, was probably just happy for the work. And if you watch the completed Lester cut, I think Lester needed to shoot something like he needed to fulfill the DGA, the Directors Guild of America requirements for getting his name on the picture, which meant he even if they had good footage here or there, he needed to reshoot 40, 60, whatever the figure was, percentage of it. But the dumbest thing that Richard Lester did, are you guys ready for the dumbest thing that Richard Lester did? I think we talked about this last time. Yes, Yes, I think we did. He's basically, Salkind puts him in a room with Williams like, hey, you guys, John Williams, you guys are going to have your first meeting and figure things out. And at some point, John Williams stomps out of the room, famed, aggro, angry, difficult to work with. John, I mean, I'm joking. If you've ever seen an interview with John Williams, he's a very sort of quiet and dignified sort of composery man but john williams bursts out of the room with lester and just says i could not get along with that man and walks out so i don't know what their argument was but within one meeting of meeting with richard lester john williams was done so this movie just repurposes his music and doesn't do anything new and it's another lame thing the Philip Morris Company paid $400,000 for their Marlboro cigarettes. And that's why we have a lot of smoking <laughs> and a lot of cigarette advertisements in the movie. I did, for my final piece of context, just want to read you guys from the script, which I found online. Exterior Fortress Day. Superman and Lois walk Away from the fortress with a handcuffed Luther firmly in tow, tow, Luther's eyes flicker with animation as he talks quickly to Superman, giving his pitch, his one last chance. And who would be the wiser? We say you got killed in a battle. You lie low for a couple of months at my place. And then I bring you back as a boxer. We start just slow at first, and then we pull the string. The Smallville Stronger Boy, the Metropolis Masher. Don't you love it? Superman smiles tolerantly as camera pans. They have reached a large snow vehicle with the three villains tied up inside guarded by an army patrol superman hands the now desperate luther over to them so i don't think anybody actually set out to kill zod hmm. ursula and non less donner certainly didn't it's not in the script i think i think it's just lester i don't think that there's any authorial authorial intent to worry about i don't think it's like we want superman to be more i think it's just like we don't care we didn't include that footage but as I said earlier, I think this, the footage does exist. You can find hmm. a YouTube video of Gene Hackman giving a lame speech. And if you look really closely, it's in bad quality. But you can see the villains getting loaded into a truck hmm. by the authorities. So, which is kind of a better, I mean, for all of Zod's, it's kind of a fitting punishment for him to just be reduced to a common criminal mm-hmm. in jail with Luthor and Mr. Tessmacher and all that. So, I guess kind of the same punishment that Luthor gets time and again, but... Would have been a better movie, I think. Hmm. So it's sad. They had a good Superman 2 lined up. I mean, I don't think the Donner cut that we have is the Donner cut that we actually would have got. Obviously, they really weren't planning on reusing the time stuff. They just had to work with what footage they had left to put the new the cut together in the 2000s. But it was always Donner's intention to come up with a new ending and to work this out. So... Donner had been able to make it work with the Salkinds. If they hadn't been money-grubbing jerks, then we potentially could have gotten... There's an alternate universe where there's a great Superman 3 and a great Superman 4 and just a really fun run of 
hmm. Christopher Reeve movies because I don't have much memory of Superman three, but I think everybody hates I Superman do. four, but even Superman three is just like, it basically th- keeps throwing away any goodwill and it just sucks. Right. And then, yeah. It's campy. If I remember right, it has a really fun opening 10 minutes of silly Rube Goldberg type escalation that Superman solves. And I liked it as a kid. That's probably terrible, but it's more, it's even further in the camp gag sort of direction. The supercomputer stuff is really dumb. Richard Pryor's doing... Richard Pryor's not that much fun. Clark Kent fights an evil version of himself. Like he literally splits into two guys fighting in a tire yard. Oh, yeah. And then, so it's, it's like there's a bad version of Superman that gets drawn out to do bad things, and that version has to be killed by himself. Wow, very young in, I guess. It, it is, as it feels completely random. And it kind of de-emphasizes Lois Lane in favor of Lana Lana Lang, which is a lame choice. Well, it it reconnects him to Smallville somehow. Goes back there. I forget. I really don't remember all the plot. But yeah, it is. It's a pretty lame movie. There you go. All right. Well, Jake, final thoughts on Superman 2. I don't have any. Ben, final thoughts on Superman 2. Nah. (laughs) <laughs> I, oh, wow. I don't know if we've ever been this passive aggressive towards a movie was do you guys even want to give it a rating or is it just that it doesn't even it's not even worth rating and we have to or contractually obliged let's see ben how many crystals yeah how many green crist- crystals how many green crystals out of 70 oh that's hard i'll give it i'll give it 20 jake same question out of how many 70 21 <laughs> Who is the better man, Jake? <laughs> I'm giving it a 19. I mean, in terms of my enjoyment level, I'm yeah, sorry. it'd be like lower than that. I, don't, I feel bad. There's probably somebody listening who's just like, I like Superman too. It's fun. I, I love everything about Superman and Christopher Reeve, and I, I just don't care. We all wanted to like Superman too. Yeah, I wanted to watch the Lester cut. Give me some. Wept like a baby coming out of Superman Returns because of my affection and nostalgia for Superman one and two, and how it connects with my family brokenness issues. And I don't care anymore about Superman. No, I do. I just don't care about. Well, here's a million dollar question because you guys have kind of been angling for this. I think. Are we going to, I don't think we can, we have to get to Batman next, but do you guys want to do Superman Returns or is this so kind kill, of killed? Our I head? do kind of want to do it actually, but also I don't. So it would be more fun than Superman too. It might be, it'll probably be more fun in its way than Superman, but I'm not actually a hundred percent sure about that. I certainly liked it back in the day. I did not like it back in the day. I might like it better now or I might feel the same way. I don't know. Brandon Roth was just fine. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I just have this abiding memory of it just kind of being sour. Like the whole story of Superman abandoning the earth and Lois Lane feeling betrayed and all the kind of daddy issues stuff was so present in the movie that it just kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. Like it wasn't a very joyful movie for being about a character that's pretty joyful. Yeah, you might like it better now. It's just about bitter, angry people being bitter. 
Well, Superman wasn't bitter, though. He was just a little sad, but not bitter. I guess that's the important thing. All right, folks. That's all we got on Superman 2. Why does Miss Teschmacher come back? I thought she was afraid Lex was going to murder her at the end of part one. Eh, we don't care. That's what the filmmakers thought. Yeah, boy, they didn't care. Stockholm Syndrome. Lex is just that good. He does seem like a very potent and formidable and scary villain in these movies. (laughs) (sighs) My goodness. (laughs) Certainly manages to pull a few things over on old Otis. (laughs) Oh, man. Terrible. Terrible. I like Gene Hackman. This is not an anti-Hackman podcast, but whatever. All right. So it got a combined 20 green crystals out of 70. Not a good score. That's all we got, folks. The movie deflated us. It wasn't that much fun. We hope you have a better time with it. But you really should be watching Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice for your true Superman needs. You can watch him say, I'll tear you apart. Because <laughs> he thinks that <laughs> Lex killed his mother violently. And that scene happens either before or after Batman before murders his way through a warehouse full of guys it's good stuff all right (laughs) we love our superheroes goodbye folks until next time kneel before zod go and let zod (laughs) you don't have to take my suggestion i know it's It's fine.